This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to another edition of the Dog or Pass podcast. This for UFC Fight Night San Antonio. Uh, RDA versus Leon Edwards welterweight division fight we're going back to the great state of Texas and there's a long history of uh, really sketchy decisions everything like that I think people forget you know the UFC's you know constantly going all around different places and stuff like that and we kind of forget that uh, that Florida or sorry, uh, Florida's messed up too, but uh, that Texas <laughs> itself is very messed up. Cody Saftik, not in studio today. Chad Dow, not in studio today. It's me and just me in studio. But we do have my main man, Cody Saftik, on the line. How's it going, Cody? Yeah, not so good. So the reason I'm not in studio is after my baby ass and lad got straight up starched. I don't even want to hear the argument for like early stoppage. Like what was going to happen? Watching more ass and lad damage? Not interested. I'm actually just hanging out. Got a pint of ice cream, uh, a noose actually around my neck. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of like beaten off with my own tears as lubricant here, Paul, because uh, that's not the outcome I wanted from my baby. But alas, for now we're in Texas. So I just got I to gotta move on and I got to get back to that, that clear mind thinking. I guess so. That's, that's uh, interesting. It was very descriptive, a very descriptive uh, depiction of, of your state. You sound like what I would be like after uh, Habib lost, but Habib doesn't lose, so we just move on from there. Yeah, it, it was tough times. It, it, if I could try to like give a visual, visual, visualization, sorry, I would say it would be a lot like an Ace Ventura pet detective after he realizes that he made out with Ray Finkel. And he dives into a deep depression. Uh, that's pretty much how it's been. You know, I mean, crying in the shower, really hot water, still not clean. And hopefully we got a 13 fight offering here. So let's make this right. Well, you just cursed it by saying that. Uh, obviously, one of these <laughs> fight, one of the 13 will, will drop out. This is MMA that we're talking about. So, uh, and it's in Texas. So we'll see. All right. Let's talk about some giveaways. If anybody wants to get into a draw for 20 DK dollars, what you got to do, give the episode a like. That's step number one. None of the, nothing is possible without doing that. Step number two is leave your DK handle. And before we got on the air here, Cody uh, revealed that he doesn't like a certain person on this card. And it's not even necessarily anything that they say or do. It's just something about them rubs them the wrong way. So I'll let Cody kind of tell you about the rest of the giveaway and what you got to do. 
Yeah, listen, there's always people that don't like Colby Covington. He runs his mouth, he talks shit, it's easy to hate the guy. Ben Askren, I didn't really realize how many haters he had until he took a flying knee in the face about six seconds in, and then you really realize how much people hate this guy. So I think there's a lot of guys, it doesn't have anything to do with them being bad fighters or good fighters, it's just like for whatever reason, you don't like this guy. I don't know what it is. I don't like Leon Edwards. I cannot stand this guy. For a guy who routinely goes to boring-ass decisions, I'll buy it against decent fighters, don't get me wrong. But for a guy that's just like not a standout whatsoever in a division where you've got top talent who is willing to go out of the way and put it on the line, this guy routinely goes online and talks about how nobody wants to fight him. Newsflash, Leon. Nobody wants to fight you because you do nothing for their profile. You don't up their profile. You're a tough fight. I'm totally going to give you that. You're not a walkover. You do nothing to advance somebody's career. Nothing. It's an unwilling risk. <clears throat> so when he says, five guys turn me down, it has nothing to do with they think you're too good, Leon. It has everything to do with nobody wants to fucking fight your boring ass. So I- I'm talking his last couple of fights. Gunner split. Cerrone, he dominated him, but it's a decision. Peter Sabota, there was one second left in that fight. And then decisions against Barbarina, Luque, uh, Dominic Waters, Powell Pawlik. I am not a fan of this guy. He thinks he's the God's gift to the division. I believe he is the best British welterweight out there. Um, but yeah, I'm really hoping RDA just sticks this guy back in the packing order and I don't have to hear from him anymore. So that was a long-winded why I hate mm-hmm. Leon Edwards rant. And I can't quite put my finger on a moment that made me realize, like, you fuck this guy. And he's been pretty good to the bankroll. But there's something about him. I don't like Leon Edwards at all. So that's my pick. And I'm sure everybody's got somebody they don't like for whatever reason. So leave that in the comment section with a like of the show and your DK handle, and then get that $20. Wow. Wow. There's some deep seated. Paul, hatred there. I, I mean, I know, I know all the guys that Paul seems to not like, but he doesn't, he doesn't have anything against the Hector Aldana's of the world or, or Hector Urbina or Anthony Christodoulou no, I... or, or, or any of these putzes that no, we've had along the way. It's just, there's a full realization that this guy sucks. Leon Edwards does not suck. He is a good fighter. I just, I, I don't like him. If he was to get yeah, sparked yeah. with a flying knee, I would cheer. Everybody <laughs> cheer and ask him to get sparked. I didn't cheer. This, I would cheer. We get it. We got it. All right, here's the deal. Tony, Tony Martin. Tony Martin's my guy. That eye. Oh, yeah, yeah. Something about the eyes. I don't know what it is. Either way, we're already, already, already five minutes into the show, and we haven't even talked. Well, we kind of talked about the fight. Uh, main event, we have... Leon Edwards taking on Rafael Dos Anjos in the main event, obviously. Uh, 8,300 for Edwards, minus 130 uh, as a favorite. Uh, Rafael Dos Anjos is 7,900 and plus 110. So based on everything that you said about Leon Edwards and how much you hate him and how you hope that RDA pummels him, is it safe to say that you're you're backing Rafael Dos Anjos in this match? Yeah, I'm going to back Rafael Dos Anjos. If it was a three-round fight, I could definitely get behind Leon Edwards, even though I don't like the guy. I think that he does fight a sound game plan. He's long. He's rangy. I love the fact that here's a guy that has a good standard kickboxing base, but he'll mix in the wrestling. And I, I do believe him to have a high enough ring IQ that he's able to transition between his striking game and his wrestling game. That guy gives guys fits. They want to strike with him. He's able to neutralize them and kind of slow it down. If he's not able to get the takedown, he's able to play that range game. Him versus Donald Cerrone, there's at least one time where it's, here's a guy that can stuff your takedowns and then will prove to be a better striker than you. But Edwards is rangy. That is a five-round fight. Edwards looks really good throughout the fight. 
he's fine. But Cerrone never really pressures him with his own takedown game. He does get one takedown, yeah, but for the most part, that was a lethargic Cerrone that didn't look overly motivated, and you could say whatever you want about his run afterwards, but I, I feel like Leon Edwards fought him at the right time. It's a fight with Gunnar Nelson. Here's a fight with Gunnar Nelson that in the first two rounds, he doesn't look great. He's just doing enough to get the win, so to speak. He's doing enough to be ahead in the scorecards. He's in England. It's his own home crowd. He's going to get the decision. He wins the first two rounds. In that third round, Paul, he gets taken down. He gets mounted. Gunnar Nelson, I mean, if there's more time in the round, who knows what's going to happen. But it's also an insight of Leon Edwards is the hammer. Leon Edwards is always the hammer. Leon Edwards is either winning the striking exchanges or he's getting a takedown and ending up on top of you. But when is Leon Edwards not the hammer? Well, you'd have to go back to the Kamara Usman fight. But against Usman, <laughs> Edwards ain't going to get no takedown. It's Usman getting the takedown. And when Usman ends up on this guy, Edwards got no plan B. He's not some wizard off his back. He's not going to sweep. He's not going to get back up for the most part. Uh, he's a fish out of water. We know what he does well, but we also know what he doesn't do well. Gunner getting him down in that third round is at least a little bit of a glimmer of you can take this guy down. You Once you get on top of him, what's he going to do? And you can hopefully tire him out, tire him out. So now Rafael's got that same five rounds to deal with. If he's like Gunner and he quite simply loses the third round, it doesn't matter. We can go into the fourth and go into the fifth. Interesting to note, again, that fight is in England. It is his hometown crowd. And I, I thought he very easily won the first two rounds. Yet one of those judges still gave the fight to Gunnar Nelson, resulting in a Leon Edwards split decision. So looking at Rafael Dos Anjos, Rafael Dos Anjos takedown defense on paper, it, it doesn't seem by the numbers like it's great. Duke gets taken out all the time. The problem is Duke gets taken out all the time, and he works his way back up. He's always making you work. Going into the Kevin Lee fight, a lot of people are drawing this comparison of, well, Colby took him down, and Usman took him down. Like, Kevin Lee is not that quality of takedown artist. He's not Usman. He's not Covington. He'll get a couple takedowns, but he's going to have to work to get them. You're going to get back up, and you're going to beat him in the striking exchanges. With Leon Edwards, Leon Edwards is a decent grappler, but he's not Kamara Usman, and he's not Colby Covington. In fact, he's not even Kevin Lee. So to think that he's going to rely on his grappling for an extended an extended period of time, I, I don't see it. Now, could he out-kickbox Rafael Luceños over the course of five and pick up a decision? Yeah, it sounds crazy, but no doubt he could just by playing that safe, stay on the outside, be the ranger guy. But with Rafael Luceños, he's a truck that always is picking up steam. He always seems to be getting better and better. Five rounds, he's got mastered. And, and the last wrinkle is that Rafael Luceños himself is a fantastic wrestler. You don't always notice it because they just put him up against the best wrestlers. But in Kevin Lee, you saw, once Kevin Lee starts to get a little bit tired, once Kevin Lee starts to get a little bit weary, this guy's going to reverse it on you. And he'll get the takedown on you. And when he gets on top of you, he's a world-class Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt who's heavy and has good ground and pound and has cardio and is smart and he's a veteran savvy guy that knows how to exert himself at the right time. And what I'm thinking with, with Leon is Leon could get the early part of the round he could win the first round. He could win the second round. But at some point, he's going to get in trouble. And at some point, when you get in trouble with Rafael on top of you, it, it, it could be an issue. So now looking at the line, I see Leon Edwards as the favorite. Rafael is a slight underdog. I, I would take the poke on Rafael. Looking at the DraftKings lineup, I mean, I mean, geez, Leon Edwards is only 8300 bucks. Uh, flip side that, Rafael is 7900 Even though this could be a five-round decision, I'm thinking it's going five rounds. I think it's going to be a decision. Both guys are so well-priced. You would want to hang your hat on one of them. I'm personally going Rafael, 7,900, not a bad price, especially considering the guy averages just under 75 points. Even if he just gets in the 75 points, it's less than I want for 7,900, but it would be okay. Five rounds to work with. He can get takedowns. He can get striking. He can get a late finish. I'm going to go with uh, with Rafael Sanders. But again, I'm not going to say it's stupid to go on Edwards, and I'm not going to say the best play could be to pass, 
but it's the main event. You want action. You got to pick a guy. I'll take RDA. What are your thoughts? Well, I think you just stole all my talking points, basically. Um, <laughs> I I, for a you covered right everything. Here. It was like a four-minute response. Um, essentially, I've got written down here. RDA's last five losses, Usman, Colby Covington, Tony Ferguson, uh, Eddie Alvarez, when Eddie Alvarez became the champion, and Habib Nurmagomedov. Like, he's fighting <laughs> the elite of the elite at 155 and 170. So... You know, take like those types of L's, whatever, man. It's like when this guy, I, I'm not willing to put Leon Edwards in that category with those elite guys, those championship level guys. And honestly, I think Leon Edwards as a DraftKings play, not exactly a great play. Like even if it, if, he, if he wins a five round decision, I'm not convinced that he even scores 80 points. Like he could just, you know, stay at the outside. Like against Cerrone, what did he score? I think he scored like 67. I don't have it right in front of me right now, but it wasn't. You know, if you played Leon Edwards, like he didn't kill you, but he wasn't winning you a big GPP or anything like that. He was kind of a bust. And that was a five-round fight where uh, where he landed a lot of strikes. He he dominated most of the fight, but he just not a DK scorer. He's, I don't see him securing takedowns on RDA. On the flip side, I do see if uh, the path to – there's so many more paths to victory for RDA, whether it's the wrestling, the grappling – Hell, maybe maybe even outstrikes them. Like him and Ferguson went toe to toe at eight thousand feet altitude when they went in Mexico City, and they didn't even tire, man. Like, and that was super super high volume type of fight. Like, I I like RDA everywhere here. So uh, obviously the only yeah, problem yeah. is the size and wrestling against a bigger guy. It's it's gonna tire you out. He may not have to wrestle though. He may be able to just beat Leon Edwards on the feet. So uh, I I like RDA well, on DraftKings, and I'm gonna be. Be playing him straight up it seems like the line is slightly moving towards edwards right now uh it only moved like five points from like when i made the boards type of thing but uh ever so slight movement maybe you can catch a better line but plus 110 ain't too bad yeah and just to cap off your point actually so yeah with rafael dos Anjos, like rafael dos Anjos fights robbie lawler he puts up 172 strikes in five rounds significant strikes him versus colby covington he actually was struck him in that fight 105 significant strikes him versus Tony Ferguson, 121 significant strikes. And, and, and look at his last fights. Him versus Kevin Lee, four rounds. Him versus Usman, five rounds. Him versus Covington, five rounds. Him versus Lawler, five rounds. There's no doubt about it that Rafael Sanchez is geared to go those rounds. Now, flip side to that, Leon Edwards. This is very interesting to me. Leon Edwards versus Dominic Waters. Okay, It went three rounds. Leon Edwards landed 24 significant strikes. Him versus Tumanov, which was late in the third, 16. Him versus Brian Barberina, 23. Him versus Peter Sabatopol, 42. And finally, his last fight with Gunnar Nelson, 31. This guy has no ground impact. There's no damage that's happening on the ground. Yeah, he no. can get you down. He's a point fighter. He's a point fighter, like I mentioned earlier. He's got good at ring IQ. He knows how to get the win. But it ain't coming on volume. It's coming on a, a, a prompt to take down at the right time to steal around. Or I just did a little more work than you standing. But against Rafael, that becomes a problem. So I think we're on the same page. We'll go with RDA and... Uh, Hope it comes through for us. You got it. Uh, let's move on down the card. We have Walt Harris taking on Alexi Olenek. Walt Harris, 8,700, minus 150 favorite. Alexi Olenek is 7,500 and plus 130. Interesting thing about this fight, this is a fight that you need on your, your, on your roster. Unless, obviously, this doesn't come through. But for this fight to get finished inside the distance, so no decision, it's minus 675. Somebody's getting a finish. Either... Either Olenek, well, Olenek can just throw heavies, maybe catch them. But ideally, obviously, Olenek gets the fight to the ground, gets a submission on the flip side. 
a Linux gas tank. He's an old man. He, he gets he gets pretty tired. Um, maybe maybe you know he's shooting in for takedowns. Walt Harris shooks him off a bit. Lands lands some of his murderous power punching. Like this fight's getting finished. You gotta end up picking a winner at least in the in the big like fifteen dollar GPP. Um, wh- who do you got in this one? I gotta go with Walt the Big Ticket Harris. And I mean, talk about a guy that's got all the skill and can't quite Does put it know? together. It might be Walt Harris. I mean, six foot four, former collegiate basketball player, eighty one inch reach, was training out of ATT for a long time. He's back in Alabama now. Um, but I mean, like he's an athletic gift. He's got huge punching power, and he wasn't young when he came to the UFC. But you were expecting to see some development out of him, and I don't know. We really ever saw that. Now he's thirty six. In every other weight class, he'd be torched, but at heavyweight, because he's athletic, he'll be able to fight on a little bit. When you look at Alexei Olenek, it's like Alexei Olenek wishes he was 36. Like, 42, he's the slowest guy in the division, and he's one of the oldest guys in the division, if not the you know the entire sport, uh, at least in the UFC. Like, you don't see a whole lot of guys making it to that level and being competitive, and yet that's exactly what he is. But honestly, Paul, he's just he's way too slow, and he'll be able to take advantage of guys they're equally as slow that he can catch with some neck crank, some Ezekiel choke, you know, some type of him squeezing on your neck. But for the most part, the guys that are going to be quicker than him, they're going to beat him with the punch. When you beat him with the punch, you're going to fold him over. So the, the biggest fight that I look at when I look at this one is the Curtis Blades fight. When Alexei Olenek fought Curtis Blades, it, it, was, uh, it was a travesty to watch, dude. It wasn't even competitive. As far as I was concerned, you got old man Alexei Olenek. He needs to get this fight to the ground. He's not going to be able to take down Curtis Blades. And honestly, matchup, Blades though. is way bigger, way longer way faster he touches him up the doctor mercilessly just steps in and says hey man we can't let this continue and they stop it like two minutes into the second round <clears throat> after that he fights junior albini slow as fuck not very good he chokes him out he takes out mark hunt damn mark hunt's actually older than i am also slow as fuck but it's important to note he gets beat up bad in that fight against mark hunt like his legs getting torched he's getting touched up and then he wings a punch that clips Hunt. Hunt had both of his hands down, hurts him, gets him to the ground. What's going to happen when you when you put a little squeeze on Mark Hunt's neck? Yeah, that's going to. And then and then the fight with Alistair Overton. He didn't give a bad account of himself, but ultimately, he's a five minute fighter. He's got to put it on you in the first five minutes. If he can finish you in the first five minutes, you're done. Finish Victor Pest in the first round. You finish Albini in the first round. Finish Mark Hunt in the first round. It's that the longer you extend him, you're right, dude. He's old. He doesn't got the cardio to keep up anymore. He's got one knee. The thing is, is that he's got an unbelievable grip strength. If he gets a hold of your neck, you're in a lot of trouble. I would like to say Walt Harris could be in a lot of trouble if he if he gets a squeeze of his neck. I don't know that it'll get there. I think it'll be mostly Olenek struggling to close the pocket. If he does get close enough to him, he gets him up against the cage. I don't know that he peels him to the ground. Yeah, Walt Harris, we can all laugh about he got armbarred by Fabrizio Verdum in a minute, but there's no shame in that. And then literally his three fights after that, four fights after that, they're all terrible. They really are. Mark, Mark Godbeard, which he got DQ'd. Daniel Spitz. Sergey Spivak his last time out. And the Arlovsky fight was fucking embarrassing. It really was. There's, there's no faith that he can be gained by Walt Harris. Like, how could you get behind this guy? But minus 150 is a generous price. And then you look at his DK pricing. Someone's getting changed. Someone's getting finished here. Either Lennox is going to get him down and submit him, or Walt Harris is going to crack him and knock him out. But you want one side of it. Walt Harris is like $8,700, so I think I would rather play the 7500 Alexei Olenek. But at 42, man, I, I've seen his best days. They're behind him. I don't want to see the one-trick pony. He's got a couple old greasy man tricks. But Walt Harris and his team should snuff that out, keep the fight standing, hurt him the same way 
that Blades did. And honestly, with Olenek, you'll remember this from uh, the Daniel Malanchuk fight. The longer he goes, he wears the damage, dude. Like, he slows and he wears it. And the takedowns are non-existent after that. So Wall Harris has got to be very careful. Get out of the first five minutes and then finish him after that. So I'll go with uh, the big ticket Wall Harris. Although he's super untrustworthy, that's who I'm going to go with. One thing I'm just going to say is that it is completely unfair for you to compare Curtis Blades to I. It's hard when you're not in the studio for me to like I I can't cut you off or anything because it'll just drown out <laughs> your audio. And uh, but like comparing Walt Harris to Curtis Blades and what those guys bring to the table, Cody. Fair, Cody. That's yeah. not even a fair. You, like, you you can't compare that match. I I think I don't think Walt Harris is that good. I don't like he's just pounding. He's pounding complete tomato cans in the heavyweight division. Whenever he fights anybody of any sort of talent, he looks out of place. Now, Lexi Olenek is a 42 year old former middleweight um, who needs to get the fight to the ground. He's taking on a much bigger opponent. I think I, I do actually think Olenek is a nice DK punt in the in the uh, he's a good. Yeah. He's a he's a nice DK punt in the in the big huge contests where you need like massive scores. It's obviously not a cash, not really a cash game type of play. This guy can get knocked out. His floor is zero. His ceiling's about a hundred. So I'll probably be playing some Alexi Olenek. Um I think I'm gonna I'm gonna fade Walt Harris, but I can't really fault you for for fading a 42 year old uh, Alexi Olenek either. Uh, let's yeah, move that's on. the thing with oh. Linux. I've always felt like he, he punches above his weight. Like every time he wins a fight, it's like it's not exactly expected. It's like, oh damn, Olenek had one more left in him. But my last point really on him is that I remember when he lost to Chael Sonnen at 185 pounds. And now he's ballooned up. He's six foot one, weighs in at like two thirty-five. Man, Walt Harris is six four, two sixty. Like, God, now I get it. Linux, he's made a career out of subbing big dudes. I, I totally get it. But uh, I just got to feel like at 42, the well's starting to run dry. We got Greg Hardy taking on Juan Adams. Both guys, 8,100. I guess slight edge to Juan Adams, who's minus 115. Favorite Greg Hardy is minus 105. Another heavyweight fight where you probably need the winner. And it's a coin. This is about as much of a coin flip as you can ever get. But uh, for this fight to get finished inside of the distance, minus five, uh, minus 515. And uh, you have low-level heavyweights duking it out. It's going to be sloppy. Uh, you know, Juan Adams going into the going into his last fight there against uh, Arjun Buller talked about his you know his collegiate wrestling pedigree and yada yada yada. You know, it's Can't funny, take me down. It's funny how way back when they you know the UFC posted a clip saying that Juan Adams was the TJ Dillashaw of the heavyweight division. Uh, I think he's got a quote tweeted <laughs> saying like this aged terribly, but it's also aged terribly in the fe- I, and he's obviously referring to you know the the steroids and or sorry the EPO that uh, TJ Dillashaw was taking, but it's also aged terribly in the fact that like this guy was I like, had no gas after one round against Arjun Buller. I thought I guess he technically did enough in my opinion to win the fight, but like I wasn't out there screaming robbery. He looked completely out of place. That wrestling pedigree, I'm very dubious of it. Give me Greg Hardy. Um, I think these guys are going to be swinging. I, I don't I don't really trust Juan Adams wrestling to do anything spectacular here. And I think it's going to be sloppy, and I think Greg Hardy's going to catch him. What's your take? 
Yeah, I'm going to go the other way around. I'm going to go with uh, Juan Adams. Greg Hardy, listen, I, I get people don't like him like personality-wise. I like watching the guy fight, dude. He comes out, he throws hands. There's one of two ways this is going to go. He's going to touch you and you're going to absolutely topple over. Or in the Alan Crowder fight, yeah, he himself got massively gassed and then got DQ'd. Kind of looked like he wanted a way out. Regardless, I just think he got really tired and made a mistake. So now you got perfect matchmaking here. Realistically, you got you got Greg Hardy. He's a freak athlete. He's a massive man, six five. Comes in at the heavyweight limit of two sixty five. And who are we going to match him up against? Juan Adams, also six five, also comes in the limit at two sixty five. Both guys are just massive freak heavyweights, and both guys are got. I, I think there is some upside there. The difference here is that one guy's a football player who had all of his eggs in his basket as being a football player. And then once that didn't pan out for him, decides to transition to MMA. He's 30 years old, and he's playing behind the eight ball here, man. All of his amateur fights, he smokes the guys fast. His first three pro fights, he smokes the guy fast. They throw him into a UFC fight against Alan Crowder here, Paul. Alan Crowder. He should have just knocked out Alan Crowder in the very first round. Unfortunately, Alan Crowder proved to be a step too much for him. He tired. He got taken down. He did not look good. And then finally, Crowder himself tired his illegal knee, whatever. Yakov, there's literally nothing positive I could take out of that. We all knew that was going to happen, and it happened exactly the way we thought it would. Smolyakov rolled over as he tends to do. But now they're throwing in with a legitimate prospect. People liked Juan Adams. When Juan Adams won on the, on, uh, the Contender Series, it looked like this guy could be a promising heavyweight. He comes to the UFC. His fight with Chris De La Roca, fuck, what a learning experience that was for him. But again, you see, you see the progression. Now, he comes against Arjun Bular. Arjun Bular is an Olympian. You know, he wasn't very good at the Olympics, but he went to the Olympics for Canada. And the guy knows how to wrestle. And the guy's like 3-1 and one in the UFC, or he's 2-1 and one at the time. He ends up going 3-1. and They got a good little record on him, too. Like, he's still the favorite over Bular. People like this guy. People are backing him. He gets robbed against Bular. Not a huge robbery. I mean, he fought a bad fight, but he should have still won the fight. And then just based on that one thing, we got him as an underdog against Greg fucking Hardy. Like, eh, it's not an underdog. It's pretty much an even money fight. Like, I, I, I do get it. But I'm not understanding it. Listen, Juan Adams has terrible cardio, no doubt about it. But in the Chris De La Roca fight, he tires after one, fights through to the end. Against Arjun Bular, he's tired after one, but he fights through to the end. Those are all learning experiences. He's 27 years old. He, he's got to get rounds in him in order to develop, and I feel like that's what he's doing. When you're Greg Hardy, it's like you're 30. You go out, you knock guys out. Has he been working on his cardio? I don't know. He got massively tired in his fight as well against Crowder. So to think both guys aren't just going to get tired after one round, crazy. The other thing is we, we always talk about Hardy's punching pattern. Oh, dude, this guy hits so hard. He landed flush on Crowder, didn't put him down. When he lands flush on bums, they go down. Are we considering Juan Adams a bum? I don't really think so. I, I mean, am. he's been hit flush. He's taken punches well. Uh, he, he was undefeated prior to that one loss to Arjun Bular, which you can make excuses for him, really. It wasn't the worst fight, and he probably should have won. 27 he's from texas so i mean if this fight's close they're not fucking giving it to the former cowboy wife beater they should give it to our boy the crack and one uh one adams so anyways what i'm getting at is close fight i get it heavyweights i get it and greg hardy's a phenomenal athlete i do find it difficult to pick uh bums and try to fade greg hardy because he's so much faster and he's such a better athlete and he's working at a top gym he's gonna get you guys Juan Adams is not the fight for him right now. That's not the fight. This wasn't a bum to help raise your profile and build you along. This is a guy that wrestled in college. This is a guy that can take a punch. This guy that is six foot five with a long reach. 
So I think he's going to give him trouble. I think he's learned more from his UFC tenure than Greg Hardy has from his own respective one. And even though I sure the UFC would like Greg Hardy to win, I think uh, Juan Adams is just like a little too much too soon. The one thing I will say with Juan Adams, and I highly disagree with Juan Adams on this, is that because he cut so much weight to make 265, his whole thing is like after Wayne's, he goes and he takes that. I'm talking cookies. I'm talking Twinkies. I'm talking every pastry under the sun. The fucking guy just pigs out. And then he shows up to fight night, cramps up after the first round and shits the fucking bed. He has no cardio. He can't fight more than five minutes. And I think it has something to do with the fact that he's an idiot. He just, he just eats the worst shit for you because he spent a whole camp starving himself. I don't think he's a high-level athlete. I think he's a decent fighter. I think he's a big guy. I don't think he's a real, true-bred athlete. Whereas Greg Hardy is a true, to-the-bone athlete, elite but not maybe athlete. a fighter. So I've got an elite fighter, not an elite fighter. i got a fighter versus an elite athlete. And I would normally take the athlete, but because the athlete's a little green, I think the fighter one I'm is going to pull this one out. But as far as like projection, if this was a draft and I would want to say who's going to be better in five years, even though Hardy's three years older, you could build around Hardy. He he could get better. Juan Adams seems like he's his own worst enemy. and He will plateau. All right. We got to get through these fights because we're almost half an hour in and we've only went through the first three fights. Let's uh, move on. We got Dan Hooker versus James Vick, 8,500 Hooker. 7,700 Vic, minus 125 is Hooker as a favorite, and Vic can be had for plus 105. Who you got? Yeah, so we talked about uh, the opening of the show of, like, people that you don't like. Fighters that, for whatever reason, I can't figure it out. I don't like. People don't like James Vic, man. He talked a pile of shit and then got posted out by Justin Gaethje. He follows that up with his fight with Paul Felder, in which he looked terrible. And now it's like you do not hear this guy open his mouth whatsoever. It seems like it was a very humbling experience. And even though he had all the skills in the world to make it, you know, at a high level, he's tall, huge for the division, you know, good boxing background, good, uh, good submission defense. I could see why people would think that James Dick is going to progress to be a top level prospect. And, and maybe he still will. But I think you really saw he bit off more than he could chew. He got himself in the deep end. And it went against him. Now you've got 32-year-old James Vick, who, by the way, this weight cut is not getting any easier. Against Dan Hooker, who, yeah, again, is outside of that Edson Barbosa fight. This guy was looking pristine. He was looking on a good shape. Smokes out Ross Pearson. Nobody really knocks out Ross Pearson. Mark Casey finishes him. Jim Miller finishes him. Gilbert Burns finishes him. And unfortunately, it reds into Edson. Now, the thing that I can take away in the Edson Barbosa fight is like he literally took like a, a superhuman amount of damage. So I don't know if that's going to affect him none. I don't know if it's going to change his psyche or if it's going to change him whatsoever. I, I don't know. But as far as the, the, the matchup goes itself, Vic's going to give him a lot of problem on the outside. And it's going to be Hooker's responsibility to close that distance, get a hold of him, and do something. As much as I don't love going with Vic, two-fight losing streak, not a huge fan of his. I've seen he's seen better days. If I can get better dog money on him, it's plus 105 right now. It opened up a little bit better. Yeah, the thing with Hooker is that Hooker stood all the way to the outside and let Barbosa teed up on him. And he literally didn't have a plan B. He stood there and got teed off on. He tried to make it exciting. He tried to show people that, you know, he's got heart. And he does. And he's got one hell of a chin pull. But ultimately, he didn't have a plan B. There was no adjustment that could be made to that. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think Vic will stand on the outside. He's got a decent kicking game. He'll just eat him up with a jab. 
You know, with the jab. And if, it, if it's a close fight, and I do see this as being a close fight, he's a fucking Texan-cutioner in Texas. You think they're going to give it to the Aussie Dan Hooker? No fucking chance. So close fight. Vic does enough with the jab, with straight right, stays in the outside, chips away at him, picks up a decision. I'll take James Hooker. Okay, fair enough. Um, I don't know. I just don't really want to rely on James Vick. Um, I just don't want to rely on that durability. The guy's just got the tall man defense. The guy just takes absolute heaters to the chin. I totally understand your Dan Hooker had no plan B. Hung out on the outside against Edson Barbosa. But Edson Barbosa's leg kick game is the elite of the elite. Um, He's going to have to fight through those jabs. Uh, I'm going to lean towards... Dan Hooker uh, to win a, even a decision in this fight. But uh, I think, yeah, I think it's pretty competitive across the board. We move on down. We've got Alexander Hernandez taking on Francisco Masaranduba Trinaldo. Hernandez, 8,900 minus 185 favorite. Trinaldo is 7,300 and plus uh, 160. Trinaldo is supposed to have three fights. Uh, in the last year, all three of them have been canceled. His opponent pulling out. There was like Mac Makachev and then two other ones I don't have written down in front of me right now. So he's having troubles getting fights. Obviously, Alexander Hernandez, um, you know, the kind of came to a screeching halt. The hype train uh, was, was taken down by the cowboy. Uh, he's kind of a... You know, he's a victim of his own success. He comes in, massive underdog against Benny Darius, knocks him out in the first round, looks amazing. Uh, second fight that we see him, he takes on uh, uh, Olivier Aubert-Mercier. And, and we saw that, like, you know, if the striking isn't exactly, you know, plan A, he can move to plan B. He started getting takedown. He landed a bunch of takedowns, top control, pretty dominant performance there as well. And then he kind of, I guess, he even admitted on like Ariel Hawani's show this week that he he kind of just bought into his own hype, and he th- he figured I, if I touch anybody, they're gonna go down. Obviously, the cowboy didn't go down, and Don Cowboy Cerrone absolutely chewed him up. He seemed like he was in a pretty good space about it. Master and Duba's getting older. This one's a pick 'em for it to go to decision. I don't really know whether it's gonna go to decision or get finished inside the distance. Trinaldo is tempting on DraftKings as a $7,300 flyer. The guy's a Brazilian kickboxing champion. Maybe he's just got the advantage everywhere in this fight. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I'm scared to uh, to bet Hernandez at this price, to be perfectly honest. What's your take? Yeah, you know what? I, I had to actually out myself right here because I had seen some talk on uh, online on social media where people are like, why is everybody like Hernandez? Like, why do people back Hernandez? Like, there's some glaring holes in his game, and yet he comes in as these big favorites. Like, yeah, I'm one of those guys. I like Hernandez. I like everything this kid does. And yeah, he bought into his own hype. And yes, these young fighters are all going to experience humbling experiences that you would only hope will make them better fighters. But he's 26 years old, Paul. Like, to think that this guy just got humbled by Donald Cerrone and that's the end of him is yeah. ludicrous. I have to assume that changes are going to be made. The other thing is, is that, you know, you hear him in that press conference before the Cerrone fight. It's like, yeah, dude, this guy believes his own shit, man. Like he's talking like a fucking idiot, completely overlooking what is a first ballot hall of famer, despite never winning a world title in Donald Cerrone. Like you're going to disrespect this guy. Also like 
Sorok, I don't know, man. Like, it, it was just a bad spot for him. He got fucked up. He got seriously humbled. He got outstruck. He got beat up everywhere. Takedowns weren't working for him. Striking wasn't working for him. You need to learn from this. The difference there is that Cerrone's 35 years old. You know, Cerrone's a vet. He's been around the block. He's experiencing things. Whereas Alex Hernandez is a young kid. He's in his mid-20s. You know, yeah, he bought into his own hype. He had, outside of a split decision to, like, I, I think it was Jamal Emmers fucking six years ago. The kid had never lost to anybody. He beats Benil Darius. Don't you think everybody was telling him how fucked he was when he took that fight? And he starches him in like 40 seconds. Obey Mercy. Obey Mercy is a black belt and a, and a judo black belt too. He takes him down four times. He dominates him on the ground. And then going to the Cerrone fight, yeah, you think, oh, the UFC is giving me a, a layup here so I can progress my career. And unfortunately, that wasn't the way it is. But, but no doubt, the UFC says, hey, guys, we're going to Texas. Who are some of our Texas fighters? Well, we're going to put, you know, that's why I think, obviously, James Vick's on the card. Juan Adams from Texas, he's on the card. It's a little flavor with Craig Cardi, perfect. Alex Hernandez is another Texas boy. He's a Texas boy with a bright future, 10 and 2, 26 years old. We've, we threw him into the line a little too early. Let's reel him back a little bit and build him back up. Trinaldo's 40. And, yeah, you're right. His last three fights have fallen off. And they, they tried to book this fight already once. Him and Hernandez were supposed to fight, and then I want to yeah, say them, Hernandez yeah. got rebooked, and I, and I'm gonna say he got rebooked against Donald Cerrone. So they yanked that fight across, but since then he got the Cerrone fight. He's had one fight this year already, and you've got Master Nduba sitting on the sidelines, not getting any younger. When you look at Master Nduba, it's like yeah, he's got the kickboxing, he's really hard to take down, he's got some BJJ, but like the guys that are able to keep him on the outside and just like outpace them, you know, James Vick normally that that one comes to mind. You can make this guy pay. He's slow, he's lethargic, but he's got a great skill set. And he knows how to use that skill set. He can still get that win. And I'm not writing him off. I, I do. I look at the Evan Dunham fight and think, fuck, you know what? Evan Dunham's hard to put away, and he crushed him with the body. And could he go out there and hurt Hernandez, hit him with the right hand, hurt him with the body, make this kid second-guess himself? Absolutely. The difference there is that Evan Dunham knew in his head going into that fight, the end was coming up. You know? He knew going into that fight, I don't have a whole lot of these fights left in me. And uh, the the road, the end of the road's coming up. And what happens? He goes out. He loses to Francis or Francisco Trinaldo. He retires right afterwards. Whereas, like, you caught a guy in the back nine. This kid is not in the back nine. This kid's hungry. This kid's coming for you. I think Hernandez is a little sharper everywhere. I'm not. I'm not like over the moon. I love this. This is my pick of the week. But open at 175. I thought that was right on. It got to 200. I was passing it, and I see it's back down to 185. So for 185, something I'm willing to play. The DK side of it, I'm a little bit weary just because Hernandez is 8,900. He'd have to go out there and throttle Trinaldo. Mm-hmm. And what's one thing we know about Trinaldo? Guy's a savvy, durable old veteran. Like he, he'll find a way to slow down the action. He'll find a way to kind of grind you to a halt. And to think that you're going to spark him and score 100 points, not that likely. So yes, I like Hernandez. But I'm hoping that the people that also like Hernandez will follow him on DK. I'll pass it and try to get them that way. Ben Rothwell takes on Andre the Pitbull Arlovsky in the heavyweight division. This is kind of the fight that maybe in the heavyweight division that you don't necessarily have to roster. Uh, Ben Rothwell is 9,000 and a minus 190 favorite. Andre Arlovsky, 7,200 and plus 165. How do you you see this one shaking out? Yeah, well, once upon a time, I believe, I want to say it was 2008, uh, I think it was 2008. It was at a first affliction show, right? Little Cody thought Ben Roswell was going to fuck Andre Arlovsky up. He was the IFL champ. He had beaten 
Uh, Roy Nelson, I remember he beat Rico Rodriguez, who at the time wasn't completely shot. He, he beat a couple of good guys. I thought, you know what? Old Andre's getting old, and my boy Ben Ross, well, Big Ben, uh, doesn't like being called that anywhere. I met him one time. He was like, yeah, I'll let you say it, but don't don't fucking be telling people that's my name. I don't know why. It kind of always seemed like he was Big Ben Ross, right? But he got fucked guy. up by Arlovsky. That was the first time I noticed, Paul, that even though this guy's a hulking big heavyweight, he is extremely slow. And that that's going to be an issue because – Guy Arlovsky, he's fast. He's fast as a heavyweight. Mm-hmm. Mobile. That's literally made an entire career on being a mobile heavyweight. The thing with Ben Ross, though, is that Ben Ross found his legs. Went on a little run. Smoked Brandon Vera. Smoked Alistair Overy. Smoked Matt Mitrio. He choked out Josh Barnett. Like, I get most people aren't grappling fans. But like, to, to even fathom the idea of somebody choking out Josh Barnett is fucking insane to me. But this guy did it. Only then he does it positive steroids. Mm-hmm. And it really makes you realize... Why did this guy who was really slow all of a sudden have infinite cardio and was really light on his feet, then he gets suspended, then he serves nearly three years. It was almost a three-year suspension, right? That JDS fight was like 2016. Yep. He comes back to fight Blagoy in 2019. And the Blagoy fight, he fought the world's worst game plan. Blame it on Ring Rust, which you could. Blame it on the fact that, you know, I mean, he's, he's now coming back to the sport at uh, 37. There's a lot of things you could blame, but ultimately, he's just, he's way too slow. He sat in front of Blagoy. He let Blagoy dictate all the action, and Blagoy fought a terrible fight, but he, he just, he routinely beat Ben to the punch. I, I cried robbery because I had Ben Rothwell on like, lineups. I had bet him, but it was not a robbery. He fought a stupid fucking game plan, Paul. He really did. Ultimately, that's what it came down to. He's too slow. And he fought a bad game plan. So, yes, should he beat Andre Arlovsky? You would think so. There's there's pretty much no heavyweights I'm interested in betting Andre Arlovsky over. Like, I, I'm not sold on the guy. But there's no doubt, dude, his chin isn't as bad as we thought it used to be. And he's mobile. He can kind of pick away at you. He doesn't look great. He's on a four-fight losing streak, technically. But... It was a split against Augusta Sakai. It's a split against Walt Harris. It's a somewhat competitive fight against Shamil Abdurakhimov. His fight with Tai Tuivasa, not like he got blown out. So, yes, there's a lot that you could say. Why would I want Andre Arlovsky? Four-fight losing streak. He's 40 years old. All these decisions are going against him. But I'm just looking at this as a style clash. I'm not looking at it, this one particularly as recent history. I'm looking at it as the fact that Andre Arlovsky has been fighting these type of fights. And he's been losing the decisions. but He's showing that he's not done all the way yet. He's still serviceable. He's still got a couple tricks up his sleeve. Since he left Jackson's and went to ATT, they got this guy fighting smart. And smart should win some fights. He hasn't been winning, but he's not getting knocked out. He's fighting good game plans. He's just not getting the decision. This is the kind of fight you fight that good game plan. You stay on the outside. You pick away at this guy. You could win. You could. So, again, I'm looking at it as strictly on the pricing side of things. And... This is a car well. I'm not backing a ton of dogs, but we got two old, middling ass heavyweights who are definitely on the back. You know, they're on the back end of their careers. Jeez, our loss at 165. It looks appealing, and money's coming out of Rossville, so you can wait it, get a little bit of a better price. I'm not seeing. It. I'm really not. People keep talking about that. Oh, the ten finger guillotine. Like, yeah, a couple guys shot in on him, and he snagged it up. But Arlovsky's not going to shoot in on him. So throw that out the window. We've got a striking battle. We've got a striking battle between a guy that's flat-footed, both feet are planted, and he shakes his hands in front of you versus a guy that's got sharp technical boxing that should hit him and move, hit him and move, hit him and move. 
Tell you one the last time. They're both older. But fuck, man, do it again. Do it again, Andre. Your job's on the line. Pull one out for little Cody. Everyone's going to be happy. So uh, give me the dog play on uh, Andre the Pitbull. And, you know, fitting, if you're going to take a dog, you might as well take the Pitbull, right? Ha, ha, ha. That was that was a dad joke. Nice dad joke there. Um, I'm I'm with you actually. I think if I uh, I don't know if I'm going to make a play on. Maybe if the price gets even more, if, like if it gets up to like plus two hundred, I'll take Andre Arlovsky. Uh, I don't see a prop right now in front of me um, for Arlovsky by decision. That would be interesting. I I actually do think we see kind of like a stinker heavyweight tilt between these two. So. I guess only time will tell. Uh, we got Alex Caceres taking on Steven Peterson. Uh, Caceres, 8,800 minus 150 favor. Peterson, 7,400 and plus 130. Um, Caceres holds a four-inch reach advantage in this spot. Maybe he can kind of keep Ocho on the outside. Um, we saw Ocho's, Ocho Peterson kind of struggle against uh, uh, Luis Pena that way, but Pena actually took him down a whole bunch. Caceres is a tough guy to understand in general. He's like 14 and 12. Guy typically kind of fights towards the level of his comp- – like he fights at the level of his competition every single time he's out there. You know, pretty well-rounded, decent striking, light on his feet, not exactly a great wrestler, um, not a world-class grappler, but he can hang down there. Um, it, it is Steven Peterson. You know, he fights out of Fortis MMA, so he's like out, out of Dallas. He's the hometown guy. They've been keeping this guy around, even though he's been taking a bunch of L's. Um, this may be the one spot where finally Ocho comes through and, and gets a decision victory. What's your take? Yeah, you know, I think this is a is kind of a tough one to chalk up. I like Peterson just because of his style. Like you've never seen a boring Steven Peterson fight. He always brings it. His striking is atrocious, but. How are you not going to cheer for the dude who marches forward with his chin in and both hands by his hip, swinging bombs? Like, that's just it's who he is. He's been a Texas fan favorite for a long time. The guy that people have want to see make that progression to the next level, it just didn't look like he was really, you know, at that next level. But, you know, you have a decent fighter on Contender Series, and now they need a guy, and all of a sudden, Steven Peterson's in the UFC, and not a great run, man. I mean, losses to Brandon Davis and Luis Pena, the latter not that big of a deal. The former... Again, not a big deal, but like that's that's the lowest level you're gonna fight in the UFC is Brandon Davis. You got a problem. Beats map is set. Again, we're talking about those lower level guys. So I, I think it's safe to say we know where Steven Peterson's at. The thing with Bruce Leroy, Alex Caceres, is that it's been so hard to gauge where this guy's been at his entire career. He legitimately picks up big wins. He he's got a win over Sergio Pettis. He's got a you know, he's got a he's got a I wanna say big wins. He he wins fights. He wins some fights, sometimes you think he's the dog. He comes through, but fuck, is he ever inconsistent, man? And I mean, losses to Masanori Kanahara and Jason Knight, and that that split in China over Gwen Wang, like his fight with Martin Bravo is a split. His fight with Rolando D, I remember, I think D, I want to say he stopped after two rounds. They stopped it, but like D's coming on, dude. So like, what's Bruce Leroy's problem? It's not his camp. He's in a camp, an MMA lab that's known for getting these guys ready. And they're consistent across the board, and we know their skill set. But like he just he doesn't fit that mold. He's, you know, he's got a he's got a strange kicking game. Standing, uh, his grappling's really not that bad. It isn't, but because he kind of has that long 
tall, lanky frame for featherweight. He's easy to take down. He doesn't always have the most urgency, so guys outwork him a little bit. And that's where it becomes a problem, is that Steven Peterson is all work rate. He's not exactly a finesse fighter, but he outworks you. And he's going to be coming after Bruce Leroy. Bruce Leroy, meanwhile, sometimes relies on that finesse ability to just, he believes he's winning, he's laying some fancy kicks, he's got some takedowns. He believes he's getting the victory, so he takes his foot off the gas a little bit, and then he ends up losing or being an entirely too close of a fight. So you made the best point out. You said Bruce Leroy tends to fight to his opponent's level, right? And that's something you don't want to do against Steven Peterson because he's making he's going to try to make it a low quality, not quality, it's going to be a fun fight to watch, but it's, it's not going to be the most technical fight. It's going to be a wild brawl. You don't want to wild brawl him. You don't want to fight to his level. You want to fight smart. Stay on the outside, use your kicking game, use your reach, fight him, and then if he gets too brazen, he gets too bold, and he comes after you, put him on his back. But Bruce Leroy tends to invite those those type of fights, and if you're going to give Peterson exactly what he wants in front of his hometown crowd, where they're going to be popping every time he lands a punch, and they're not going to give a shit whenever you get him back, it's a problem. So again, if I'm looking for dogs with a chance, you know, I look at Arlovsky and I think, geez, Arlovsky got a chance. When I look at Peterson... Peterson's got a chance. He's got a chance by virtue of Bruce Leroy is 14 and 12. And let me tell you something, Paul. He, he's done that to himself. He is the definition of a 50-50 fight. He is the definition of he could be fighting anybody on the roster, and there's a legitimate case for dog or pass. Bruce Leroy should be bet as a dog. He should never be trusted as a favorite. I don't trust him as a favorite. I wouldn't touch him as a favorite. I would say pass on this fight, but I'll take my own advice and say, dogger pass it's peterson or nothing and uh last thing i'll say on that one i just think yeah peterson just has a higher ceiling in my opinion i guess andre arlovsky i know he, you know we go way back way back he knocked out like travis brown but most of the fights that he gets that andre gets into now it's like he's not scoring very much he scores maybe 50 in a victory it's like that's just not gonna cut it Steve Peterson, amped up crowd, taking on Bruce Leroy, who sometimes could get dragged into a firefight as well. I just think he's got a higher ceiling in terms of scoring there. So that's the last thing I will say on that. We move on. We've got Irina Aldana taking on Raquel Pennington. Aldana minus 150 on the betting line. Pennington is plus 130. Aldana 8,400 to Raquel Pennington's 7,800. What you take here? Yeah, the one thing I'll never bet on as long as I live is uh, is an unmotivated fighter. And until Raquel Pennington shows me otherwise, that is a unmotivated fighter. I feel like her best days are behind her, and it's crazy. I know, I know. There's a lot of people saying, "Dude, three fights ago, she smashes Misha Tate." Like, and then what? Are, her last two losses are what? Nunez and Jermaine Duran. Like, how, how are you gonna say this is an unmotivated fighter? How are you going to say this is not a fighter that's at the top of the game? She's going from fighting two world champions. Technically, JD has a world champion. She's going from fighting two world champions to Irene Aldana, and you're not going to give her a second look? But it's the way in which she loses those fights. I mean, obviously, the fight with Nunez is a type for, for anybody, and she lasted way longer than any of Nunez's opponents. So you should take a positive away from that. But trying to quit on your stool after four, Listen, I'm not a fighter. You're not a fighter. Most of the people listening to the show aren't a fighter. So it's hard for us to say, what a fucking quitter, you know, blah, blah, blah. We're not in that position. We've never been in that position. We're never going to be in that position. But there has to be something said for somebody that's trained their entire career to fight for a world title. And you're sitting on your stool. There's five minutes left. You fought for 20 minutes at this point. There's five minutes left. You're not hurt. You're not tired. You just don't want to fight anymore. And the fight with Jermaine Durand to me, it's like, yo, grappling all day. You and I both know. 
you can't fucking strike with this bitch. So don't strike with her. Take her down. That's your game plan. That's the way to beat her. The blueprint's been made on how to beat JDR. It's also been written how to lose to JDR, stand in front of her. She doesn't commit to the takedown. She doesn't commit to – she used to be fierce. She used to be tough. She used to be big for the division and willing to come right through you. She's got wins over Jessica Andrade and Misha Tate. Like, how much more could you want on the resume? But there's also a lot of periods of, geez, you know, she gets stuck in a lull. She's not super athletic. She's not super fast. But she gets stuck in a lull in front of you. That's where I'm starting to worry here. I don't love Irene Aldana. Irene Aldana is not exactly a play I I run towards, especially because she's the favorite in this spot. But, like, she's longer, she's rangier. She's got a much better stand-up game. She's the better boxer. That's it. I don't want her see her kick a whole lot because maybe that's how she ends up on the ground but if Raquel doesn't go to the game plan of bully this girl against the cage mm-hmm. wear her down peel her to the ground she's gonna have trouble and, and I get that she's fought two world-class opponents her last time out I think Raquel Pennington has seriously been sold as somebody who is a lot better than than she is I I, I truly do believe that and so the last point there is she had a split over Betchka hey she looked terrible she won over Elizabeth Phillips, and it was not. It was a decision. Like a little, Elizabeth Phillips has a losing record as a pro right now, and fights on the fucking worst regional scene you can imagine. But the fight with Misha Tate, dude, that's that's what everybody keeps coming down to. Like, yo, how good did Misha she look? Misha Tate was Misha on her way did. out the door at that point too, right? Misha retired right after the fight. Yeah, of course, you know she something? was on her way out. She was done too. She was done too, and Raquel pulled one over on her. But now the impression I get from Raquel is that she too is done now she's only 30 and she does train at a good camp and and there is some skill there but i i i'm not i'm not getting that give out of her i'm not i'm not feeling that drive out of her and whereas i think irene aldana is definitely a winnable fight for her um she's she's younger she's getting on a roll no actually she's not here what am i talking about but um but all the same she's on a three-fight winning streak she she's making some progression i i don't think it's crazy to think that Raquel beats herself. Raquel beats herself by not pressuring her and standing in the middle of the ring and letting Aldana dictate the pace from the outside. If that's the case, Aldana's going to win a decision. It's going to be greasy. It's not going to be the, the most exciting thing in the world, but Aldana should be able to get it done. Aldana also does spend a little bit of time in Texas. That's not going to fucking matter. But the main thing is, is that Aldana's style of staying on the outside and using her boxing is going to go uh, better over with the crowd. I remember... I remember I won some boxing bets a couple of years ago, but the basis was it was a rematch, right? And the first fight took place in Maryland, and the one guy marks for the entire time, and I thought he won. They they literally score every single round for the for the more you know uh, savvy Cuban counterpuncher. Now they rematch in Texas. I tell everybody, yo, this guy's four to one. He lost the first time. He'll win this rematch. He marches him down in Texas. He wins every single round in Texas. They're looking at something different. They don't care about that that counterpunching. They're looking for aggression. They're looking at that's kind of how traditionally they have been. So Raquel could win this fight. Do what you used to do. I don't think she can anymore. So again, this would be I'm not gonna say dog or pass because she is the dog, but this this is a pass or pass, or if, if you like Aldana by decision, take Aldana by decision. Um I think I think these uh Mexican Fighters, uh, Alexa Grasso, Irina Aldana, when they came over from Invicta, I think they were a little bit overhyped. But I think they're starting to, like, things may be starting to turn the corner. Like, Grasso never looked better than her last time out there. Uh, everything seemed to be on point. Her understanding of distance and management and everything like that. Like, she was a big prospect coming in, and she was kind of trending towards being a flop. I kind of feel similarly about Aldana. And I think Aldana 8400 on DraftKings... 
It's like the one thing that you can kind of hang your hat on with her is like her volume is massive. So if, as long as she doesn't get submitted, like taken down early by Rocky, who is going to try to force that type of game plan, is able to maintain range. She's a lot longer. I think she can pile up some strikes here. We've seen Pennington, obviously, against some of the best fighters in, on the planet, uh, GDR and uh, and uh, Amanda Nunez, is that she's, her striking defense, not great. She is very, very, very hittable, very slow. I uh, I like Aldana in this spot, and I think maybe she could be a little bit sneaky. Like, this fight going to decision, or no decision, this is plus 215. So, like, obviously the odds are dictating that this fight probably goes to decision. But I think Aldana could be that type of fighter that scores like 95 to 100 points just on volume alone in this matchup. Maybe I'm wrong. Only time will uh, only time will tell. Anyway, we got to move on to light heavyweight division. We have Clinton Abreu taking on Smiling Sam Alvey. Clinton Abreu 8600 or minus 165 favorite. Sam Alvey is 7600 and plus 145. Watching Clinton Abreu's debut against uh, Magomed and Kalayev, couple spots. There's only one thing that I worry about, or that I when I'm when I'm assessing whether uh, Sam Alvey can win a fight. Does his opponent charge in? And when he <laughs> does, what is his defense like? And like watching Clinton Abreu multiple times throughout that fight, charges in one time in the first round, I believe he takes a massive uppercut from Ankalaev. Got all right, Clinton Abreu durable from what I saw. Like Ankalaev is in my opinion, leaps and bounds further along than uh, Sam Alvey at this point, especially a much better athlete, uh, more, more paths, but it's there. Sam Alvey could win this fight. The problem is, is like on DraftKings, Sam Alvey, even, yeah, he could lose a decision victory and like score nine points. Like he's going to back up. He's going to, He's not going to be, it's almost impossible to take him down. He's going to back up. He's going to have that left hand cocked. He's trying to throw it right down the pipe, waiting for his opponent to walk in. Clinton Abreu may walk into that, but it's really, really hard to roster him because his floor is next to nothing. But I'm not impressed by what I'm seeing from Clinton Abreu. Um, it's dogger pass for me. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I got, I got to go with Clinton Abreu. Sam Alvey, like, I, I won't call him a personal friend of mine, but, like, yeah, a guy I really like, and we have spent some time together, and how could you not like this guy? But he sets himself up in these situations. He used to fight at 170, right? He tried once upon a time. He's only the ultimate fighter at 170. He said it depleted him, so he moves up to 185, and that's where you see him hit his rhythm. Guy's got a big counter left. Takedown defense checks out pretty good. Cardio, pfft. Never a problem because he doesn't exert himself. Yeah, well, what's there not to like with Sam Alvey? He doesn't do anything until you bum rush him and then he catches you. And if he doesn't catch you, well, that's the end of it. We've all watched a lot of bad Sam Alvey fights. I mean, fucking boring Sam Alvey fights. And there's also fights with Sam Alvey that should be very boring, but he catches them and he knocks them out. For the most part, though, it's hard to ever have faith in Sam because he stands there, he stares at his opponent, he doesn't throw anything. You're right. If a guy's willing, like, uh, Marcin Prachnio is willing to run straight at him with his hands down. Yeah, listen, this dude busts you. You're in some serious trouble. But at the same time, like Alex Nicholson, not known for his chin. Sam couldn't take him out. Nate Marquardt, not known for his chin. Sam couldn't take him out. Rashad Evans, not known for his chin. Sam couldn't take him out. Jean Vellante, again, a split decision. And then he loses to Nogueira and Jim Crew. That's a crazy thing. 
those are polar opposites, right? You got Noguera, who's just been around forever and is definitely on the last stop of the Legends Tour. And and Sam Alvey's known for a cast iron chin, by the way. Can't knock this fucking guy out. And Lil Nog knocks this guy out. Okay, fair enough. Let's put him against Jim Crew. Jim Crew's the polar opposite of Noguera. He's not an old savvy veteran. He's a young, super green kid. I, I really like Jim Crew, but he definitely should have had a little more regional experience before coming to the UFC. And And he also knocks out Sam Alvey. So Sam Alvey's cast iron chin, by the way, doesn't hold up at 205. He's a 185-er. He's taking great punches at 185. At 205, he's not that same guy. And I remember the time him and I hung out. I asked him, I said, geez, man, you're looking pretty big. How big are you right now? And he was like, oh, fuck, 220 or 218. But he was really like almost ashamed of it. Like, ah, fuck, man, I'm 218. I'm really out of shape. Dude, this is 205. Do you not think these guys walk around at 218? Like, you guys are walking around at 230 and cutting it down at 205. So now he's the small guy, right? He didn't like cutting the weight. He's got four kids. He's married. He's got he, he's one of like the head trainers at uh, Dan Henderson's gym. He's got shit getting in the way. Also, Sam Alvey's not some young kid uh, on the block. He's 33 years old. And so moving up to 205 is a way of I can't cut the weight no more. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking to have a couple of fights later in my career. Uh, what can you do? From, and, and he's getting knocked out. Okay, that's, that's a problem. So now at least they give him a guy in Clinton Abreu who does not seem to be a, like a knockout fighter in the slightest bit. This guy is a submission machine. He's uh, He's got a submission win over Johnny Walker. He's got a submission win over Leandro Silva. He's got submission wins over Victor Nemkov and Anton uh, Vizigan. It's like, fuck, How dude, this guy down, gets though? a hold of you. He's going to submit you. But Alvi, Alvi's got good takedown defense. And Alvi's not exactly known for getting submitted. So could Alvi pose some serious problems to this Clinton Abreu? I do believe so. But here's the one thing is that when you look back at Alvi, the, the fight to, to look out for is, is uh, Alvi versus uh, Ramazan Amiv, right? So he takes on Ramazan Amiv, and it's out 185 pounds. Alvi comes in at 189. Amiv can't get him down, and Amiv doesn't really want to strike with him. So what does he do, Paul? He just he pushes him up against the cage, and that's it. Alvi has no ability to get off of the cage. Alvi does not dirty box well. Alvi does not throw knees particularly well. Alvi's not able to dig an underhook in reverse. He literally just sits with his back against the cage and allows it to happen. Amiv fights a really bad fight, but Amiv clearly wins all three rounds on the basis of San Alvi doesn't do anything, right? So yeah, Marcin Prakio runs straight at you. John Vellante runs straight at you. Clinton Abreu, yeah, you're right. You know, him versus Ankalaev, you kind of run at him. Ankalaev, dude, you're a submission guy. What are you going to do? Take this guy down? That's not going to fucking happen. You're going to hold him up against the cage? Nope, that's not going to happen either. But against Alvi, that's that's more of a realistic game plan. You bum rush this guy and put him up against the cage. And if you can get him down, you're element. But if you can't get him down, don't matter, man. Just hold him up against the cage and, and work him that way. So so I don't love it. But yeah, I, I think Clinton Abreu, he's a natural 205er. And Paul, he couldn't even man, make weight last time people. out, this bum. 209 came in against Ankle Live. He had four weeks to get ready for the fight. Missed weight by four pounds. Clinton Abreu. Misses, yeah, misses weight, weight by four pounds, comes in at 209. Technically, you could say he missed weight by three pounds. Sure. He didn't get the little allowance. But yeah, all, all the same, he, he broke his nose like in the first round of that fight. Still made the decision against a guy in Ankle Live who is no joke. Um, missed weight, I get it. But now he's got a full camp coming in. He missed weight at 205. What does that tell you? He's a big fucking dude, right? Sam Alvey, not a big dude. Sam Alvey was missing weight at 185, but he's not missing weight at 205. So you got to give that advantage to Clinton. Also, Clinton, I had the I had the privilege of uh, 
work in the Victor Nemkov fight and that also fight with uh, Anton uh, Vizigan. And it's like, dude, this guy's going to Russia, taking on much better Russian fighters and dusting them on the ground. So the last point, I got to say my boy Paul Shaughnessy got to get behind this. After he won that last fight, M1 Challenge against Vizigan, uh, they gave him his first nickname. He didn't have a nickname. But now he's Klitson the Russian terror of Brayu for his ability to go into Russia and fuck Russians up. And we're worried about him fighting Sam Alvey? Nah, not dog. I'm not worried about that. So uh, I'll say Klitson the gets this one done. What's his ceiling in the UFC? Not very high, but Sam Alvey's ceiling is non-existent. It's a terrible nickname. He just got his ass beat by, uh, by a Russian <laughs> in his last right. fight. Give your head a shake. Anyway, let's move on. We got uh, Jennifer Maya taking on Roxanne Modafferi, eighty-two hundred Maya minus one thirty-five favorite. Roxanne Modafferi is eight thousand and plus one fifteen. So these two fought, fought obviously back at UFC or at Invicta fifteen, I believe. It was a five-round main event. Uh, Maya ends up winning rounds one, four, and five in most people's scorecards. So. This is a three-round fight, three-round rematch. Roxy was able to, on uh, most people's scorecards, win rounds two and three. So, like, I think, you know, going into that one, I think Maya was, like, minus 200 favorite. Or whatever. I think the, the line's pretty much right here. Um, I, I really, I think it's pretty much a pick em, uh in my books anyway. I, I could see it really going either way. Not a fight that I really want to attack on DraftKings just with... You know, Maya's decent enough. Uh, you know, there there could be some takedowns from Otto Ferry here, but like Maya was actually landing some takedowns in their first matchup between the two of them as well. So I think it's really, really hotly contested. The biggest advantage being Maya on the feet. So I think that it's right that she's the favorite here, but it's a fight that I'm probably just going to stay away from altogether. What about you? Yeah, yeah, that, that that's the thing. I've kind of painted myself in a corner. I will never bet Roxanne Montefiore. I can't do it. I love watching her fight. I think she's one of the greatest characters in the game, and there's no doubt I'd like to root for her, but no, I'm not going to You didn't get a slice of her? dollars on her. You didn't get a slice of her uh, yeah. against, uh, against Antonina? Well, okay, so that was the spot. We went on the show, and we were openly like, listen, Antonina is a one-dimensional kickboxer, and this is, this is Roxanne's fight to win. We, we boast about it on the show. I go to bet it. My balls literally sucked right inside of my body, Paul Shaughnessy. I couldn't fucking do it. <laughs> I could not do it. It, it. Like, the price was right. The matchup was right. I watched the fight, and I fucking kicked myself the whole time, but it's like, I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. She's so unathletic. And she's, you know, she's 36. She's got 40 fights under her belt. She's been around the game. Again, a total fan favorite. But like, how, how in your right mind could you get behind her and believe, you know, fuck, she's going to, but the one thing she has that this developing weight class of untalented fighters doesn't have is a legitimate ground game. She has a legitimate ground game. She can rely on that. Didn't work against Senyara because Senyara Jubank, she got a, she got a good ground game too. But if she's able to get a hold of you and take you to the ground, you're in trouble. And that's the thing with Jennifer Maya is that when you watch them fight the first time around, that's a three-round fight. It's Roxy all day. She wins two and three. That's her decision. Jennifer Maya, she got bad takedown defense. Now, I mind you, Liz Carmouche is a good takedown fighter. She really is. But like it's it's like it's effortless. Yeah, at least she's got to work for it a little bit against other fighters. Against Maya, we, we know she's a Muay Thai practitioner. She's a stand-up fighter. She's a girl that's got a little bit of size for the division. But she's also five foot four, so how much size does she realistically have? 
She's a shoot box fighter. She's aggressive. She'd get in front of you and she'll beat you up. But what we're seeing is like, you know who else is a shoot box fighter? Is a cyborg. And that style, it works on everybody. It really does. I march for it and I beat them up. But as the level of the game starts to progress, There'll be somebody that'll take you down, or there'll be someone that'll use that aggression against you. And you know, in her case, she gets caught by Nunez. We don't know what the ground game thing is like, but it'll be interesting seeing her and Felicia Spencer because that's literally only Felicia Spencer's only thing is the ground game. So going back to Maya, it's like I'm sure she's worked on her ability to stuff takedowns and survive on the ground, but ultimately surviving on the ground is all she does once the fight does hit the ground. And this is five rounds. Again, I'm going to go with Maya. Maya showed to have a better gas tank. She is a five-round fighter. And one thing about Jennifer Maya that everybody should know, this girl is a really slow starter. And that's not a big deal when you're fighting five rounds, but it is everything when you're fighting mm-hmm. a three-round fight, especially because uh, this, is her, this is her last six wins. Diana Silva, majority. Vanessa Porto, unanimous. Roxanne, split. Uh, that Agnieszka, it's a Polish name. Rob, yeah, yeah, our boy yeah. Rob, shout out Rob. He'd be able to pronounce it, I'm sure. But decision. Liz Carmouche, decision. Alexis Davis, decision. She can't bust a grade. So if you're not going to go and finish your opponent and you're a slow starter, you're you're always going to be fighting uphill. And I think that's where Roxanne could give her troubles. Roxanne just needs to get those early takedowns, take her down, beat her on the ground. The thing is, I don't trust Roxanne. I can't trust Roxanne. I'm never going to trust Roxanne. And whereas I do see this as a potential situation where you can go out there and get a, an underdog that gave, you know, a good account of herself. She's plus 115, man. Like, it's very justifiable to take her against Shevchenko. We yeah. we sat there and said, yeah, when you're getting you should like bet this three, go against Shevchenko. The price is right. The price is right. Yeah, the price I'll here give, seems I'll completely give Larry, free. Uh, Roxanne a shot, but this is not it. All right, we got Ray Borg taking on Gabriel Silva. Gabriel Silva, for nobody that or people who don't know, brother of Eric Silva. Interesting. <laughs> Think about all of the the lost uh, potential there. Either way, we got uh, Ray Borg ninety three hundred minus two twenty five favorite. Gabriel Silva sixty nine hundred and plus one eighty five. Ray Borg, uh, man, for a guy who had seemingly all of the talents in the world. Just a real great prospect at 125 pounds. His ability, his inability to make that weight class and his style moving up to 135. And then even on his last fight, missing weight at 135. He came in at 137. So they it's classified as a catch weight fight against Casey Kenny. Super, super close fight. No doubt. Some people thought that Borg won either way. Um, it was it was razor razor close. And I think that is a real telltale sign for his uh trajectory at 135 pounds his style and his frame and his size at this weight class just doesn't work if he was a speed like a, if he was a technical striker who was able to bounce in and out all right then your speed kind of helps but it's like now he's gonna have to take on bigger guys every single time that he's at this weight class i think his wrestling uh top game and everything that made him great at 125 is gonna be a hindrance for him at uh one 35 against Gabriel Silva. Maybe it doesn't really matter. I think Borg can probably get some takedowns here, but um, I'm not. I, I would love, like, if it was like two years ago and we saw this line newcomer taking on Ray Borg, one of the best uh, prospects in the division, like, we'd be jumping all over this minus 225. But this guy's different. I know he's got a lot of other things going on in his life and stuff. So, you know, there's distractions. Um, 
and and so on and so forth. So it, nothing nothing's easy, but it's really hard to back Ray Borg as such a big favorite. He's gonna have to 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 score for ninety three points there. He's gonna have to go above and beyond. Like he's gonna have to land uh, tons of takedowns, lots of transitions. I'm just not feeling paying up for him on DraftKings ninety three hundred, and I'm weary about minus two twenty five. Maybe you can change my mind. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing with Ray Borg is you often talk about guys that are starting to wander into you know untrustworthy waters. Fuck, man, this guy's starting to get to that point. I mean, Ray Borg is a guy that at one twenty five he was untrustworthy on the scales. Like, is he being going to make the weight? Probably not. And then he just he pulls out of so many fights. And you can make some excuses for the guy, like, oh, dude, Conor McGregor put a dolly through a bus window, and that's what scratched him off the fight. And then, you know, his his kid got sick, so it's like that 100% is going to take you out of your element and, and force you on the sidelines. <clears throat> but there's just a lot of fights where it's like you don't know where this guy's at. And, yeah, he, 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 was, he had good size for flyweight in the sense that, like, he wasn't a small guy. He was strong. He was able to take guys down and, like, physically toss them around a little bit. But... He's five foot four. He's limited. So now you move him up to to one thirty five, right? Okay. You know what? We're getting ready to one twenty five. He's gonna come up to one thirty five. He struggled to make weight at one twenty five. Dude, he fucking missed weight against Casey Keeney, but like two pounds. Yeah, exactly. Like, are you kidding me? One thirty seven point eight. What the fuck is wrong with you, dude? Why can you not make the weight? That's a serious problem. That's either someone's body shutting down, or he just doesn't care. Or how many guys move up a weight class and miss weight? You know, and those guys. It didn't go good for them. You know, Johnny Hendricks did it. It didn't go good for him. Anthony Johnson did it against Vitor Belfort, and then he seriously had to work his way back into the UFC. But certainly on that night, it wasn't going good for him. So that's all shit that's worrisome when you're when you're Ray Borg. Another thing that you got to worry about is that Gabriel Silva's last two fights come at 145 pounds. Yeah, like, exactly. He, yeah. he just literally fought Jake Heffernan in the LFA co-main at 145 pounds. Does he look out of place? No, he doesn't look out of place. So now he's going to come down to 135, whereas you've got Borg coming up to 135. And what that tells me is even though they're both five foot four and they are both five foot four, this kid's going to be sick. And this kid's going to be sick, and he's going to be a problem for Borg, who seemed to have infinite cardio, but now you're seeing he's got to deal with bigger guys. He's tiring down. He's, he's not having his way anymore. He's a hammer. The guy's always been a hammer. He comes at you. He takes you down. He beats on you. There has not been a whole lot of times where Ray Borg has taken a beating and been able to come back from that. So it makes you think, geez, personal problems, injuries, moves up a weight class. Uh, you know, he, he's got a lot of issues running around him. Why would you want to back this guy? Thing with Gabriel Silva is that he's still kind of an unknown. Yeah, he's Eric Silva's brother. You would have more insight to this because you're the baby of your family. What's the age difference between you and your oldest sibling? Uh, my oldest sister's eight years older than me. Eight years older, right? So Eric Silva's eleven years older than his brother Gabriel Silva. Do you think they were close growing up? Do you think this is like you like? Oh, I don't know. I I I don't. They could not be related for all I care. It doesn't make a difference to me that they don't even fight the same. This kid likes to grapple. Even with his it. brother, he likes to fucking swing bombs. So they they're not the same fighter. They're at the same gym. There's an eleven year gap between the two of them, and Eric Silva is a total busted prospect. Mm-hmm. So the thing that Gabriel's some world beater, I don't think so. You know, no, four fights back. Oh, he, here's another thing, a massive concern, okay? This kid turns pro in 2011, fought once. He fought once in 2012. He fought once in 2013, once in 2014, once 2015. He takes 2016 off. He fights once in 2017. He takes 2018 off. 
and he has fought once so far in 2019. Paul, he's been pro for eight years. You know what his record is? Seven and zero. What the fuck is that? So this guy is also massively untrustworthy. I couldn't get behind him. The money line's right for board. The DK line's not right. So no. I would say if you're going to take a shot, I, I would back Borg in this spot just because he's more proven. He's got the experience. He's got at least a good camp where he doesn't have to think about. The other thing with Casey Kinney, you got to remember, that was the third opponent that they gave Borg, right? So you, you're trying to get rid of for what? Kyler Phillips and some other putts. And then all of a sudden you get Casey Kinney. He's moving up a weight class. And it was Kyler Phillips and Penguin Lou. You go from them to playing Casey. So I'm going to make an excuse for him. I'm going to say here's a guy that hadn't fought since Demetrius Johnson beat him in a fifth round almost three years ago, right? He, he, he's got personal problems because of his kid. He's got, he's got the, the McGregor thing. He's got a couple injuries that are nagging at him. Now he moves up a weight class. Two points fall out. He gets a third guy. He loses to Casey. It's a bad look. This is his chance to get back on. And, and I don't think he's out managed by Ali, but he might be. Because I thought I saw Ali say something like, don't count this kid out. He's back on track, blah, blah, blah. Nowadays, Ali managing you should not change your perspective on a fight whatsoever. But it should, motherfucker. It should. Because Ali's clients are fucking crushing. So keep it in mind. We got uh, Jin Su Sun taking on Mario Bautista. Jin Su Sun, 9,100, minus 210 favorite. Mario Bautista, 7,100, and a plus 175 underdog. Who you got? Yeah, this is one that uh, I'll fully admit. I'm going to have to just look over it a little bit more. I like Batista, you know, MMA lab guy. He's coming off a loss to Corey Sanhagen, but hey, he got I don't care about that, that kid. Like, it don't, yeah, don't matter to me. At least you went in there and you did the thing, and he scored a takedown on him for whatever it's worth. But again, you know, he's just, he's very inexperienced. He's 26 years old. This is a prime example. A friend of mine had this conversation earlier today. Uh, I'm watching the contender series last night. These guys, they're, they're, they're in too deep too soon. You know, they need some fights under their belts. They need to be able to grow. You know, that Louis Jourdain or uh, Charles Jourdain, sorry, that fought Des Green a month ago. He's an exact example. You know, he's like 22 years old, 23 years old. He needs to fight some more fights, get experience, work on the takedown defense, get a couple bumps and bruises along the way, grow, and then come to the UFC. But the UFC says, oh, well, we need a guy short notice on a week. So they sign some guy from four and one. He, he, same thing with that kid from King of the Cage. You know that big story last, uh, last week with Butler trying to get his release? The, the promoter, everyone's against Terry, right? Everyone's against Terry Trebleock. Whoa, what a book of bad promoter. Hold on to it. Dude, he made so much sense when he was like, the kid is not ready. Everyone says I'm fucking him over by ruining his dream because I'm not releasing him. What's going to happen? He's going to go over there. He's going to get beat up. He's going to be back in these King of the Cage shows, not selling any tickets, you know, fighting it out. Like, grow them and get them to that level. I almost feel like the same thing with Batista. Fuck, he's 26 years old. He's, he's got five pro fights, six pro fights, sorry. And, wow, well, we need a guy. So you sign him and he fights Sanhagen, like, you know what I mean? Like, it, Sanhagen was supposed to fight John Lineker. He's getting ready to fight John Lineker. He's already 2-0 in the UFC, coming off a win over Erie Alcantara. And Mario Batista has to step up to the plate. 
I don't like that shit, but it also stunts the growth. I don't know how good the kid could be because, you know, he's not making those steps. So he could be a lot more talented than I'm giving him credit for. I don't really know. Flip side to that is opponent Jin Soo Sun. You know, he's a Korean zombie guy and his debut, he gets Peter Young. Like, neither of these guys have had a, an easy path so far, but he goes to decision. It's an awesome fight as far as I'm concerned. I thought he get, I think it was fight of the night, I think. But he gave an awesome account of himself, and he's a he's a plus six eighty five dog. Yeah. So it's like, okay, are you good, or did you have one good performance against one good guy? You're a big dog. You're on short notice. It made it look. I don't know. Batista, meanwhile, are you really good? But you know, you you drew Sandhagen late. You took him down. He just armbarred you after you got him down. I, I, I'm having trouble gauging how good either guy really is. And so then looking at it, uh, Juice on eight, he's a two to one favorite. That's an easy fade, but mm-hmm. I haven't, I haven't done enough that I feel confident in saying this is a fadeable fight, fade this guy and move on. So for the time being, I'm seeing value in Batista, but just because this is a closer fight than two to one would suggest. So, uh, count me into the pass. If anything changes, I'll be the first one to let you guys. And finally, we got Domingo Colarte taking on Felipe Colares. Uh, Dom Colarte, 9,400 and a minus 335 favorite. Colares is 6,800 and plus 275. Who you got? I mean, listen, watching Polarte is an absolute treat. I mean, he's like six feet tall and he fights 135 pounds. Oh my God. I love it. I love seeing that kind of stuff. But the also thing is, is that when you're that big, you've got massive advantages and you also have massive disadvantages. Only in Polarte's case, dude, the guy can actually wrestle. Yeah, his striking is going to be his go-to on the simple fact that he stays on the outside. He's so tall. He'll be able to just eat you away with the jabs, the kicks, stick you to the outside, and you know, kind of pick away at you, so to speak. Vince Morales on the Ultimate Fight or on uh, Dana White's Contender Series, sorry, he he gives him a go, and Morales has proven to be I not great. He's alright, he's serviceable, and uh, Morales gives him a go early, but like once Pilarte gets him on the ground, he's got a slick little ground game. So you look into it more, and it's like, oh, dude, of course, his his uh, his head coach is UFC veteran Daniel Pineda. Daniel Pineda is a submission machine. But if there's one thing more impressive about Pineda, he's a Texas boy. This is a Texas boy of a Texas gym. Polarte fits that exact same mold. So why is he on this card? Because they're looking for the Texas guy. Hasn't had a fight since his fight with Morales because I think he pulled out of a fight with, I want to say, Brian Kelleher with an injury. But all the same, he hasn't fought in one year. That's a little bit worrisome. But he's 29 years old. I don't think he's old by no means. I think maybe a little bit of time off could be okay. This is the reason I'm mainly picking is if this just stays a stand-up battle between him and Corrales, although I do think it's kind of close, I, I give the advantage towards Pilarte just because of sheer size. He'd be able to stay on the outside, he'd be able to pick him off. But Pilarte's got a, like a, he's got like an underrated ground game. You know what I mean? His, his best work is when he's on top of you. He's able to get your back so long. He can body triangle you all day, and we see his submission game is pretty good. You know, Got some decent submission wins on the regional scene, and then obviously his coming out party over Vince Morales on a contender series, a nasty little submission, right? So when you look at Felipe Corrales, like kind of close on the feet. I'm going to give the advantage uh, to Pilarte. Well, how is it? How's it on the ground? I got a little Brazilian here out of Team Noguera. Used to fight at 145. Might be a little bit bigger, but ultimately it's like go watching his fight with Ger- Geraldo De Freitas. I think he gives up like six fucking takedowns or something. Mm-hmm. Like he, he he's getting taken down rather easily by a guy that probably shouldn't be taking you down six times. So. It's a close enough fight, but again, he gets taken in six times. I looked at the numbers uh, yesterday. 
something like 11 passes officially on fight matches. That's how I many. So his ground game is not great. Yeah, it's awful. And he gets almost, yeah, it's almost, it's a little over two to one on the, on the significant strikes department. So he's getting taken down. He gets beat up. You watch the fight. He's taken down. He gets beat up on the ground. He gets a couple takedowns of his own, but don't matter. And he's getting styled on the ground. That's what you don't see with Pilarte. You see more six feet tall, long rangey guy, going to stick it out on the outside. Uh, Pilarte is also a southpaw. But I, I think he can beat him standing long enough for Corrales to make a mistake and then dump this motherfucker on the ground. Once you get him on the ground, that's when you'll see the best Pilarte. And that's what I'd like. So another Texas boy, give me the Texas win. And uh, I'll take Domingo to, uh, to start the card off. Yeah, I like Don Polarte as well. I just, yeah, the grappling is a big advantage for him. But uh, don't forget, like, him versus Morales, like, it was a hell of a banger in round one, too. It was, yeah. He got dropped. He got dropped hard by uh, by uh, Vince Morales in that fight. So, oh, yeah. the chin may not be as great as we think it is. But, Colares, this is a fight that is designed for Dom, you know, local guy on the local card to go out there. Get everyone fired up early on in the night. Um, I think he's reasonably, like, I think he is very deservedly the big favorite here, but the line's starting to get out of hand a little bit for my taste, just just in the fact that he's kind of unproven. Um, at, you know, minus 335, he's, I just like a more proven commodity than somebody who got dropped by Vince Morales in round one. Um, call me crazy. Call me crazy for that. I think you he's got, what? I think he's got the great, I think he's got a, uh, like the grappling advantage, no doubt, but I'm not, I don't, I don't feel great about like parlaying this thing up and adding it to all your parlays. Like he, he, shit happens in MMA and, and we're talking about low level guys for sure. Well, you know what? That's exactly it. We got low level guys here. Curtain jerking on what is kind of a low level card and do you, are you positive on any guys? Do you know what you're going to get? No. The, the one thing that I did think about, though, is that with Vince Morales, like Vince Morales also just flash dropped Benito Lopez on the weekend. And, you know, it didn't put him away either. But the guy kind of had some decent pow-pow in his hand as far as just like a one quick drop. But, yep. but looking at Felipe Corrales is like he's a submission guy as well. I mean, five of his eight wins are by submission. The only time he's ever knocked a guy out, it was six years ago. Mm-hmm. And the only other time he's finished a guy, is it, it's a it's a TKO due to retire. So essentially, the guy was just like, yeah, yeah, I'm done getting hit. I'm going to fucking go home now. So it's not as if we're talking about Polarte as in like, oh, he got knocked out. Is that he got dropped. And he got dropped by a guy that's considerably got more power than the opponent he's coming up with. But but you're, you're 100% right. We're looking at low-level fighters on the first card. You should never be super certain of any of these guys. In the last... You train with Corrales, and it turns out he has no ACL. Then maybe you would be considering uh, going heavier on one of these guys. So that's about it. To keep the streak alive, it's a bad streak. Dude, I'm getting fucking crushed on the second fight of the night. I don't know what it is. I can't figure it out. It goes back to Whitmire, and it goes back to Austrian uh, Wonder Boy, and it goes back to last week's card, the exact same thing. So, so Jinsu Sun versus Mario Batista, isn't that the second card? <laughs> Maybe I should just walk away, Paul. So which one's the second fight on this card? Well, I got it listed as Batista versus uh, Jinsu yeah, Sun. Yeah, same so, I, Okay. Yeah, but... Yeah, which is I one that you basically didn't have a pick for. I like yeah, Jinsu Sun. Exactly. I think he's going to pull it off here. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Just high octane. Yeah. High end. Uh, all right. Yeah. Just uh, run. Run through final thoughts for you. 
Okay, yeah. So my final thoughts are I'm going to go with Rafael Desanos. I'm going to go with Walt Harris. I'm going to go with Juan Adams, James Vick, Alex Hernandez, Andre Arlovsky, Steven Peterson, Irene Aldana, Klitsen Abreu, God damn it, Roxanne Modafferi, Ray Borg, Mario Batista, although that, yeah, again, that, that could fucking go either way. I'll have to look at it again. And then uh, Domingo Pilarte. Uh, in terms of the card, it, it looks kind of on the safe side, but know what is safe in this sport so it's going to be hard and then the last thing on drafting is just because I, I realize i'm on the phone so we haven't maybe dived in purely on the drafting standpoint as much as we do when we're like in studio but just like as a quick thing our loss here for 7200 bucks like fuck man i don't think he finishes rothwell i really don't think he finishes rothwell but for 7200 bucks like he's one of those plays that if he goes out there and just manages to squeak up a decision he could get 70 points could be worth it peterson at 7400 again bruce leroy could defeat himself peterson goes for it and then that could be okay this like 7700 those would be three sub 8000 plays that i don't mind in terms of the guys that i'd be willing to spend money for domingo polarte is way too expensive but he's at least got the style that he could go out there and get that finish for you walt harris again one of those guys that's going down you're either going to take the 7500 and a great punt by the way or you're going to go with walt harris for the 87 and then you know what do you do you got money on the table you got 9600 on the table if you're to play those guys not what I'm saying you're going to play that exact lineup, but this is the kind of car that you could save some money. And when you look at the high-end guys with the high price tags, nobody jumps at you as a, I love that. Do you want Jin Su Sim? Do you want Ben Rothwell? Do you love Alex Hernandez or Bruce Leroy? Those are the upper echelon guys this card, and they're not exactly ones that you trust. So I can see this card as being the kind of one where you fade those guys to the top, you get those mid-range plays, and those are the ones that pay off for you. Thank you very much, Cody, for being on the line. Thanks for, for having me on, despite uh, me not being there. Also, this noose, I think I'm going to take it off. You know, I, I get it. Aspen Lad. Here's my real last point, Paul, and then we can totally wrap this show off. Jermaine Duran to me is a dirty fucking fighter. She should be banned. She punched Holly Holm twice after the bell. And then against my poor baby Aspen Lad, I counted it, Paul. I counted it. 16 seconds after the bell is when she hit her. Total fucking bullshit, man. Total bullshit. You're just being, you're just, you're just a bus. <laughs> you're just a bitter bus at this point. Just, just accept it. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've accepted it. Anyway, that wraps up for us this week. Sorry that it's not a uh, regular format. Frankly, I'm not, I don't want to make any excuses. This was incredibly difficult for me to try to do this show. So hopefully we're back to him being in studio, me being able to interject when he talks uh, so on and so forth. Not exactly the greatest format, but hey, we're getting you guys a show. Um, and we're trying to get it out to you guys every single week. So he wasn't able to be in this week. We had to make some concessions. So for Cody Safdig, I am Paul, Sh- Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Family experience! Experience!